Hey, my name is Tiffany Vaughn, and I'm on a mission to help regular people like me find their voice and then use it for lifting themselves and others up around them. I'm a small town mom to three kiddos with my hubby James, and man, have we been dealing with a lot. But isn't everyone? I lovingly call it our hard, beautiful journey, and I bet that yours is too. In season one, I tossed the bricks from my shoulders that were weighing me down. Bricks that represented shame, embarrassment, regret, loss, you name it, I was feeling it. I am now taking those bricks and building up a stronger foundation for myself and our family. I've created this safe space for me and you to open our hearts and our minds and to use our voices to help others know they are not alone in their struggles. Mental health, marriage and divorce, infertility, parenting, and some soul journey work are all topics that we discuss here. Let's be real for a minute. Life can definitely be hard, but it can also be so dang beautiful. Am I right? So pull up a cozy seat, grab your beverage of choice, and join me as I help others talk about their hard, beautiful journey. I know they will inspire you as much as they inspire me. So let's get started. Hello there. Welcome to episode 41 of Hard, Beautiful Journey. I am so grateful that you are here with me today. Today's episode is pretty darn special, let me tell you. I had the honor to speak with Shelley Buck and Kathy Curtis about the book they wrote called Leave Your Light On. This book is about Shelley's son, Ryder Buck. I read the book in about three hours. I could not put it down. And from the description I give now, you will understand why. Rarely does someone so joyfully authentic come along and flash a light so bright you can't help but feel a rush of hope. Ryder Buck was such a guy. He was charming and hilarious, ornery and aggravating, and he delighted in his love of music. Nothing more and nothing less than himself. His self-acceptance fueled his audacious dreams and taught him to have faith and just let go. Ryder lived a magical life, but he was also tested in ways many of us never will be. He endured the pain of a cancer diagnosis and the hardship of chemo treatment. And when the disease that should have beaten him didn't, his unimaginable fate showed up on a dark highway. Then his light began to shine even brighter. It led his mother out of the dark tunnel of her grief. It cradled a family heartbroken by his silent guitar to find healing together. It has given people throughout the world the encouragement to be who they really are, to discover their own purpose, to wake up to the magic in their own hearts. Ryder's story will inspire you to see your own light, no matter what life or death throws your way. Here is my interview with Shelly and Kathy. Hello, Shelly and Kathy. How are you guys doing? Great. I am so, so excited to have you both here today with me and my audience. Uh, Last week, I got an email from Lauren Ball, and she asked me if I would be interested in reading a book and having you both on my podcast. And she sent me a description of the book and instantly, I don't think I've ever emailed somebody back so fast in all of my life. Yes, yes, I do. I want that book and I want them on my podcast. So she she made that happen and I'm so grateful for her reaching out and... First off, I am an avid speed reader and any chance I can get to read really good books, I take it. And 
your book is unbelievable. And I started it right away and I couldn't put it down. And I may have abandoned my own children (laughs) for a few (laughs) hours and left them on their own to jump on a trampoline, but they were fine. Um, I was just so mesmerized by Ryder's story and not just his story, but your story as well, Shelly, and the story of your husband, Chris, and your other two boys, Woody and Reed. And I literally, I messaged you yesterday and I said, I literally felt Ryder's spirit in every word of that book. And I could feel him. I could just feel his smile. I could feel him. And it was unbelievable. And Kathy, your words are just so inspiring. And I wanted to say how special it is that you wrote this book with Shelly and your friendship since you were 12 years old is just incredible. And that you came together to do this is just amazing. So I wanted to say that first. We co-wrote the book, so it wasn't just me. Um, And that was a a bit of magic on its own, but yeah. So absolute magic. Um, So I would like both of you to give a glimpse into this book and what the journey has been like for you and your family. Just the writing of the book part? Um, the story itself. The too. story. Well, I, I wrote during my life, but not avidly. And I didn't keep constant journals. I kept them sporadically. But when my 22-year-old son, Ryder, was diagnosed with cancer, I started an online journal and to keep friends and family updated. And I wrote in that for the nine months that he was in treatment and then continued because his antics were story worthy. (laughs) Um, And I wrote um, through the next six months until he passed suddenly, um, not from the cancer. And then I continued to write because it was so therapeutic for me. And when Kathy and I, well, lots of people said, Shelly, you've got to write a book. You've got to write a book. And I was like, oh, you know, especially after he passed, that was just too much to think about. But then I got a message from Ryder and he said, mom, write my story. So that was the catalyst. That was the turning point where, you know, I called Kathy and I said, who am I going to get to help me? And I'll let Kathy take it from there. Yeah. Well, it, I had, I had a background by the time this all happened, Shelly and I had lived apart for most of our adult lives and we were, we continued to be really connected. And I went out there often, I knew her family. And so by the time that Ryder passed and then Shelly decided she wanted to write the book, I had been for like 30 years doing healing work with people, helping them go through things like grief and illness through creative outlets like writing and art, where they actually focused on their their feelings and learned to figure out what they meant and how to get through them. But anyway, and I had written a few books. And so I'm sitting on the other end of the phone when Shelly called me to say, oh my God, who am I going to get to be a ghostwriter for my book? Oh my God. And I felt like, um, well, 
I'm thinking maybe I'd be good. (laughs) (laughs) And so we've laughed about that forever, but it was just wonderful. And we took off running from there. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It's incredible. And so the title of the book is leave your light on. You want to talk about the meaning behind the title and what it means to leave your light on. Leave Your Light On is actually the title of the first songwriter ever wrote. And it was, you know, it was um, sort of a premonition for the rest of his life. I mean, he, he lived that mantra and his other mantra was share the love. So through finding his own light, his, his own spirit and purpose, he lived large and shared the love Um, He was a musician, so he spent a lot of time on the stage and the love just poured off the stage. He wanted to help people through his music and um, help people find their own lights. And he did that again and again and again with people who were feeling lost or desperate and people who just wanted to be in his presence. He, he, He really worked at it. He dedicated himself to living in the light. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I could feel that in, in a lot of the stories, especially when he went to Bali. Do you want to talk mm-hmm. about his trip to Bali? Sure. Um, this was the first birthday he left on his birthday. It was the first birthday that I hadn't been with him his entire life. He turned 23 um, and he took off for the other side of the world to study music. Um, It was a music program through a local college and he was gone for a month. And during that time, I mean, I didn't know it because he dumped his phone in the ocean um, the first day. So we didn't have any communication with him except via Facebook occasionally. Um, I didn't know how he was changing until he got off the plane and there was this serenity I mean, he'd always been a mellow character, but this was beyond. And he also, he also looked like he had a tattoo on his arm. And I said, hey, tattoo, huh? And he goes, oh, mom, it's temporary. Don't worry about it. I'm like, okay, right. I bet it's temporary. So about a week later, I said, temporary, huh? And he's like, yeah, I was going to tell you eventually. (laughs) So, you know, he did some major changing and he marked it with this with this tattoo and came home and was so so serene and so spiritual and meditative uh he really really came to another level uh while he was in bali Mm -hmm. and then um yeah and this was how long after he beat cancer do you want to talk about the cancer part a little bit Um, Yeah, he was diagnosed in late August, had his surgery within a week. It was stage four testicular cancer. It was also in his lungs. And we went through three rounds of chemo. And just before Thanksgiving, he was declared clear. Then he had an appointment with his primary care physician right right after Christmas. And I said, you know what, would you please do the cancer markers too. It's not typical to get those, those blood tests done as well. But I said, just check, 
because we weren't due to see his oncologist until March. And of course, the numbers came back really high and he went right back into treatment in January. And then he had four rounds in that in that section of his treatment. So he would be inpatient one week and out for two, during which time he drove me crazy, um, taking off for the mountains and the beach and hiking and camping and going to concerts and doing all sorts of things he really shouldn't have been doing, going through chemo. Mm -hmm. Um, But he was declared clear right around the 1st of June in uh, 2013. And uh, he left at the end of June for Bali. And I don't know if I had known if I could have let him go, if I had known what was ahead of us. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was the best thing for him and his growth. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And this whole time, Ryder, his whole life, he has had a love for music Mm -hmm. and the guitar. Can you talk Mm -hmm. about that? Well, um, you know, when he was when he was little, he played around with the instruments that were in the house. And, you know, we didn't have a lot of them. We had things that I kind of bought for him or antiques or whatever. But um, when he hit high school, he he got into he started with a video game, Guitar Hero, and he was enjoying that so much, you know, that he said, I want to learn to play guitar. So in the middle of high school, he picked up the guitar and we got him some lessons. And before I knew it, he was teaching himself um, with online chord progressions and so on. And then he started writing music and he was just prolific. He went everywhere with his guitar and um, he found it was a chick magnet. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, they are. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, what else was I going to tell you about that? Oh, as he was leaving for college one day, he, he said to me, mom, what am I going to do with my life? I don't, I don't know. And I said, well, honey, go look in the mirror. It's strapped to your back. <laughs> you know, it was so clear to me. And, and I think that just gave him permission to take off and do what he was doing with love anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I told you yesterday, my dad is a musician And he's a keyboard player, but he um, also plays guitar. He plays everything by ear. And it's just incredible when just musicians in general, like they're just Mm -hmm. incredible. And Mm -hmm. so over the last few days, I've been watching a lot of writers, YouTube videos Mm -hmm. with his band. And they're just so he, you can just see how much he absolutely loved what he was doing mm-hmm. and his bandmates. So what, um, what do you think people can learn the most from Ryder's story? Kath, you want to go? Yes. I, w- when you were talking about the light before, you know, we get asked a lot, what does it mean to have your light on, to leave your light on? And what you just said about Ryder and how much he loved what he was doing. Mm -hmm. I think the light is what happens when you come from a place of love and you put your heart into the things that you love. And it, it for him went beyond the music. It went to everything and everyone. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was emanating this love 
that's sort of beyond the norm, you know, in his life. I felt it the last time I saw him when probably three years before he passed. And so he was, he was nurturing this take on life and this participation in life and being himself, which Mm -hmm. I think is probably like the number one takeaway from this is that you have to be yourself in order to get to that love because it's all in there, all these emotions. And so we know that he left an amazing impact on people. 1,200 people came to his uh, celebration of life when Shelly and Chris were thinking there might be 300 and they'd have to get an overflow room. Yeah, 1,200 people came. They stayed for three hours. So here's this 23-year-old young man left a profound impact and (laughs) he was not perfect. And I think that's (laughs) a really big message is that we all... You know, I think we all grew up thinking we needed to be perfect in order for it all to go right. And he was an example of, uh -uh, you do not have to be perfect, but you do need to come from a place of love and have joy in your heart and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So throughout the book, when you're talking about all of the, the, um, times in the hospital and the the cancer treatment, like I, I could feel, I haven't had any children with cancer, but I, I have three kids that have ADHD. And so we, we struggle with that on a daily basis. And so those challenges are so hard. And as a mom, like just wanting your child to be healthy, to be safe, to feel the love from you, like I could feel it in every fiber. So what can parents that are trying to handle their child going through cancer do to cope? Mm. Well, everybody says, take care of yourself, which is a really tall order because every, every bit of a mother's heart, soul, and body go into supporting their child. The most important thing I think I learned to do and I really had to learn it from Ryder was to let him be in the driver's seat as much as possible. I mean, he was a young man, so it was really time for him to take the reins on his life. Uh, But I was there to interface with the doctor and the nurses. Um, I was there every day he was inpatient. And, you know, the doctor rolled his eyes at me. You're here still again, (laughs) you know, and, and yet that was, that was my job was to be there and advocate for him or just witness what was going on, uh, keep him company if he wanted it, take a walk if he wanted to be, you know, in solitude. So I think letting him take control, whether it's a young child and do you want to color or paint, do you want to eat or not, you know, um, letting them have some control over a situation where they have none. Mm-hmm. You know, they're being poked and prodded and tested. And it's, uh, it's really important to turn that over to some degree, as much as is, you know, feasible. Yeah, absolutely. The other part um, that I felt your struggle was with your other two sons as well, and wanting to be there for them 
and, mm-hmm. and where to be, where to put your energy. Right. And cause you right. only have so much. And I, I have that as well with, with our three and some days, you know, one needs more than mm-hmm. the other two, but sometimes they all need you at once. And it's like, which one do I go to? So right. I, I felt that struggle for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. 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 Our youngest was the only other, the only one home at the time writers was going through his treatment because uh, my middle son, Woody was away at college. So, you know, of course we had to be on the phone with him when he called and we needed to go to his plays in Michigan, you know, from LA, we, we needed to be there for him. We got my mother and my sister to stand in. I let the coaches handle my youngest. I let, I let them handle Reed you know, he had a great community in choir and theater and water polo. So um, a lot of his guidance, you know, came from them. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband was working really long hours and after work, he would come straight to the hospital. So the boys barely saw him. You know, I would come home around six or seven o'clock from the hospital um, when he took over there and um and then just field the balls as they came, you know, what do you need now? I mean, the food was being delivered. God bless my friends. Um, they were so amazing. And uh, we wanted for nothing in the way of support. But, you know, sometimes mom just really has to be there. And I was spread really thin. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Do you want to um, tell my audience how Ryder passed? Oh, yes. He had been recording overnight on a Friday and Saturday he went to his to Reed's um, water polo game about an hour away and he went surfing. Then he went to a private yoga class and then he went to a friend's house that night. So he had been up for like almost 48 hours just just packing life in and he started home around four in the morning and it was a really really dense fog that night on a freeway with no lights and his car broke down so he tried to call me and my ringer was off which it never is especially when my kids aren't home and I still to this day can't explain how that happened I didn't even know how to turn the ringer off but I didn't get the calls from him and he started walking home on the freeway. And there were a couple of guys who decided it was a good idea to race through the fog and they were going about 75 miles an hour and they hit him. Oh my goodness. And this was how long after he was cancer free? About six months. Oh my goodness. Um, So what um, is the connection for you between grief and light after this happened? Mm. How have you, how have you moved on or have you, I don't think you can move on, but. You move forward. Um, Kathy can speak to this a lot because she witnessed it when we started writing the book. Um, the changes started to happen. I mean, in the beginning, there was no light left in me. I didn't want to live. You know, I knew I had to be there for my other two sons and my husband, but uh, I was flattened 
and I couldn't see a way back to the light. And writers started contacting me through mediums and uh, dreams and other friends who got messages. And I would, and I get these all the time, you know, oh, I got a message from writer or, oh, writer sent me a song. And it was my lifeline. Mm -hmm. Um, But Kathy can talk about the changes. Well, I I do want to just say how much it meant to me that Shelly was so open to writer spirit because in the program that I created a long time ago, that's really the key to so much healing for people is when they have a way, when they trust, when they can stay open, when they even have a way to kind of make that connection. But Shelly, that was just her natural way. And she just, you know, listened to music and from that he made and just stayed in touch with him um, just every day. That's what kept her alive. And so when we started working on the book, there was still quite a bit of grief in there, like the deep kind, you know, the, the breakdown and sob kind. But she was driven to do the book. And I was, you know, I would have done anything to help her make this happen. Well, as we began writing and we took her linear, it's like, here's what happened along the way. That was her journal. And we wanted to turn it into a um, narrative, you know, a story. And how did we do that? And what was going to be the, the guiding light? Well, it was the light. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was the light that he emanated. And so as we reshaped the stories to fit that narrative, to bring that to life, it brought her to life. Mm-hmm. And I remember this day, and I can't tell you exactly when it happened. We worked on the book for a two-year period. And it was, you know, we had our ups and downs in terms of how hard it could be for Shelly to, to, I don't know, let things go a little bit, let go of certain stories that didn't support that idea that we were working with. But there was this day where it hit me that her light was fully back on. And when I met Shelly at 12, she had a light. I mean, she just, that was her, that was her. Yeah. And that was what attracted me to her and made me want to be her friend. And so um, I think there are a lot of people that they're more hungry for this than, you know, like um, I started bringing my program to people about oh, 10 years ago, 11 years ago. And it was scary because I thought people would think I'm crazy. Oh my goodness. They were so hungry to make that connection, to feel their loved one. And out of that, they were able to grow spiritually. And I know Shelly has, she's continuing to grow. I mean, it's just, it's just like, (laughs) it's a kind of a, awesome thing for me just to sit back here and watch this light get brighter and brighter and brighter, but that's what's happened. That is amazing. Um, so my podcast is named hard, beautiful journey. I've definitely had a hard one and I found that through talking and 
speaking and writing about my hard, beautiful journey, I actually started my own spiritual awakening last year. And I've always had an intuitive nature, um, but the last year has been incredible. And it's so true. As soon as you start to open yourself up to it, um, like the most incredible things have been happening. And I'm now like feeling more connected to loved ones that have passed on. And it's been incredible. And I, I feel my light is on way brighter than it ever has been in my life. And so I absolutely, absolutely agree with you. Can you tell us more about your program? Well, yes, I might, when my mother died, I went through a really deep kind of grief that I had never felt. And I, she and I had written letters to one another in, in life. And so after she passed from a really quick battle with cancer, I wrote to her and I just had things I needed to say, but I did it intentionally with the, the idea that she could hear me. And that was really helpful. But then I got, I had some really unusual things happen that made me feel that she wanted to write back. So I, I just tried to get out of my own way and allow whatever thoughts were coming through to be from her. And when I got done with that, the, the thing about that journey for me is that I started, I had already gone through a lot of healing by the time I started that. There was none, there was no grief left when I got done. And it was an, it almost felt like a miracle that I had been able to completely clear my soul, my, my heart of the grief. And so it also, you know, really grounded me in the idea that we do have ongoing connection if we nurture it and so the the program i have is really based on my journey and i've created writing prompts that you know lead you to just get get things out that nobody has ever asked you about your journey through grief and then there's an evening where the loved one writes back and that's always a really really big deal night for people That sounds amazing. Would you recommend starting this process? This might sound weird, but prior to them passing. And I ask that because my, my parents are getting older and I'm, I, my grandma, I actually wrote a book about my grandma before she died. I interviewed her and I wrote a book about her and then I read it to her and I'm doing the same thing with my, with my parents. And, but we, we all, we talk openly about, okay, so when you pass, I want you to do this sign <laughs> so that <laughs> I know great. it's you. <laughs> and my mom, it. my mom, she always, when she gives me a hug, she always blows in my ear and makes my ear tickle. Um, so I said, when you pass, that's your sign. <laughs> so <laughs> I absolutely love what your program is about to keep that connection alive, because if you don't, it, your grief can just be so overwhelming. Oh, Absolutely yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, it really can. And it, there's such a physical element to that too. We, we hold it when we're stuck in all those feelings, we hold it in our bodies. And there's a lot of research about the kind of um, 
health risks and you know associated with grief Mm -hmm. so it's really important just to keep that flowing but you enter this other realm when you're writing like that especially when they're not there Mm -hmm. and we've all written to people you know that are still alive but they're not where you are they're across the country or wherever and even doing that we know how it feels we get really connected to their heart Mm -hmm. and so um yeah i uh doing it before they pass you know if they're lucid and I'm assuming your parents are uh, you can talk to them I think writing back and forth to one another would be incredible but I give you a ton of credit for already talking about it Mm -hmm. because there are a lot of people that just don't have the courage to do that yeah and I think it's been like I wrote that book for my grandma about 10 years ago so that was actually the start of me wanting to capture those stories and those memories and stuff that you never would know unless you ask them. Right. Um, but I feel like in the last couple of years, just with me knowing that there's more to this, that I'm more comfortable with it and just, you know, really wanting to get to know, really know their heart and what, what's you oh, know, driven them. Just, there. Oh, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. So I, <laughs> I had, there was two parts of the book that absolutely made me laugh like out loud. (laughs) And one of them I would love Shelly to tell, and it's about a dump truck. Okay. Right. It was about one and a half, um, just really getting verbal, um, but not in command of the language yet. He couldn't say consonant combinations. So S T S P T R those kind of things were, you know, they got, they got muddled. So I picked up a dump truck once and I said, what's this honey? And he said, dump fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, who's driving the dump truck, honey, daddy, daddy dump fuck. And did your husband like that? (laughs) No, he wasn't as amused as I was, but you know, he's got a good sense of humor, but boy, I wish I had that on video. No kidding. Oh my goodness. That was hilarious. And then the other one was when he went to the Oscars with your husband and he didn't sit in his seat much. No, he did not. He looked like a million bucks. He had his shades on, he had his tux. And uh, he was up out of his seat, you know, before the show even started. And, you know, Chris was texting him, where are you? What are you doing? Oh, I'm hanging out at the bar with this celebrity or that celebrity or talking to someone. And, you know, he checked in once or twice during the whole whole show, which is long. (laughs) Um, And come to find out, he'd been riding the elevator with this girl Uh, who was running the elevator and, you know, up and down and up and down. And finally they kissed and exchanged numbers. And he came home and told me about this. And I was like, you are kidding me. (laughs) You're making out with someone in the elevator at the Oscars. Good Lord. And it turns out she, I wrote about that story on his Facebook page and she surfaced. She said, I'm the girl in the elevator. Yeah. And I was like, wow. Yeah. 
That is amazing. Amazing. One thing that I just read about this morning, um, was so yeah, your husband. So he is a co-director of the Mm -hmm. movies frozen and frozen Mm -hmm. two. Yes. And part or sorry. Um, I did not know this, but there is a character that was inspired by your son Ryder in the Mm -hmm. movie. You want to talk Mm -hmm. about that and a song as well. Yes. Well, um, the character Ryder Natura, who's one of the folks that lives in the, in the woods, very sweet, very, very calm, romantic um, young man. And just really the epitome of Ryder. It, um, and it was Chris's co-director who suggested naming him Ryder. So of course that was a huge honor and they tried to keep it from me until the screening at the rap party, but it's somebody let it slip. So I knew it was coming, but of course I cried. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a song that was partly inspired by our journey after Ryder passed. Um, and he passed one month exactly before Frozen was released. So we were in the middle of the most schizophrenic time, you know, the highs were so high and the lows were just abysmal. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, the songwriters that did Frozen One, you know, went through this journey with us and they were inspired to write the next right thing, oh. which was, you know, Anna feels like she's lost everyone dear to her and she's despondent and she decides to pick herself up and just take the next step and do the next right thing. And that was inspired by our journey. Oh, wow. I'm going to listen to that song now after <laughs> this interview. <laughs> well, I have to tell you one other thing. In um, On Disney Plus, there's a series of six episodes of The Making of Frozen 2, mm-hmm. Into the Unknown, The Making of Frozen 2. And in episode three, towards the end, there's a 10 minute segment about that song and the character and Ryder. There's oh, wow. a lot of footage of him and it's really, it's really pretty sweet. I mean, it's amazing that it made it in there, but it was such a big part of our lives, you know? Yeah. And your husband's life at mm-hmm. that time, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. He was gone a lot during, during his cancer battle and, and supportive during his cancer battle. So it is a right. huge part of your lives. There was so many um, parts in the book of writers writing, which I told, I absolutely found that so special. Like I just said, I, I wrote a book about my grandma. So any, anything that you can capture with their words and their spirit, I just find absolutely beautiful. Um, but there was one, one of his writings that I found so profound that I actually read it probably like 10 times over and over and over and over again. So if you're okay with it, would you be okay if I read it right now? Oh, absolutely. All right. So it is writer's final note from Bali. You have the power inside of you and in God, however you choose to see him, her, it giving your life up to a power greater than yourself and letting go of the control we try to have in our own lives is the only way to let life truly begin. There is so much truth in the saying, go with the flow. We have to be willing to stop trying to make things in our life happen and just let whatever is supposed to happen take place. It takes a serious trust in the higher power 
to let go of it all. But once you do and realize that the things that happen to us are all supposed to and are meant to teach us the things we need to learn, the sooner your life will improve. That I can promise you, Ryder. Yeah, that's what he learned through his cancer journey and through his time in Bali. He was a profound young man. I, don't, I was just going to say um, the fact that your son who is 23 wrote those words is just absolutely remarkable because I'm 46 and just starting to get it, you know? Yeah. So I'm just grateful for him reminding me and all of our listeners um, that about that. Mm-hmm. And um, I can't express enough how much those words meant to me. Well, thank you for sharing them with everyone. Um, How can my listeners find your book and learn more about Ryder and his legacy? Well, the book is available on Amazon at Barnes and Noble. um, But if you go to leaveyourlightonbook.com, that's our website for the book. And there are links there to purchase directly. There's also a link on that page um, on that website for writers music um, website, writerbuckmusic.com. If you want to go directly there, but you can get there through the light on leave your light on book.com. And there are several uh, videos of him playing. There's some songs there are lots of pictures that tell his story and um, his music is available on iTunes and Amazon as well. Excellent. Um, So today I am grateful for so much. I always am every day. I start with something I'm grateful for, but absolutely without a doubt today, my biggest source of gratitude is now having another beautiful musician's music in my life. Shelly sent me um, writer's song yesterday, Leave Your Light On, and it has been on repeat. I sent it to my parents and they messaged me and they absolutely loved it. And so I'm just so grateful for his music. Music to me has always been a source of therapy. And so now I have writer's therapy in my playlist as well. So I'm so grateful for that. What are you grateful for today? Hmm. Oh, I'm grateful for my family and for the life I'm living and the fact that with writer's help, I've integrated this tragedy into my life and made my life richer. And, and the key part of that is with writer's help. So I'm grateful that I still have um, contact with him and I don't feel like he's lost to me. Um, He's right here with me. Grateful for my health. And uh, it's really a beautiful life. You know, if you choose to see the the beauty in it, it's all there. Mm -hmm. So, How about you, Kathy? Well, I'm really grateful for my lifelong friendship with Shelly. It's been, it's been magical. I mean, all along the way and the, the last few years have been quite, you know, hard, hard, beautiful journey. <laughs> You've got a good term there, but you know, I, 
I have um, in my iPhone, I have my alarm set with a ringtone. I've had it there for 15 years and I don't even really use it anymore. But I mention it because it, the song is called I Am the Luckiest. Um, you know, that song, it, it's, um, I can't think of a musician, but it, I believe that that pattern got just really embedded in me. And I wake up every day hearing that I am the luckiest. So I go into my day with that, you know, that's my foundation. And so there's a million other things I could say, but yeah. the friendship with Shelly has been a real, um, a real highlight of my life. That's excellent. Same here. Thank you both so much for this opportunity to talk about your book and about Ryder and just for sharing his story. I am so grateful. I'm grateful for both of you. So thank you very much for your time today. Well, thank you for having us. us. Yeah, it's been really wonderful. Thank you, Shelly and Kathy, for sharing Ryder's story with the world. He has definitely inspired so many people to see their own light, to be who they really are, and to discover their own purpose. His words and his music will always be there to help light the way. To end this episode, I wanted to do two things. The first is to read one more part of the book that brought a tear to my eye. Shocking, I know. And then I'll play Ryder's very first song, Leave Your Light On, which Shelley so graciously shared with me to include in this episode. So this is the part of the book that brought a tear to my eye. And it was a valentine that Shelley wrote to Ryder when he was three years old. And it's called A Valentine to My Three-Year-Old Ryder. Ryder. My love for you is older than the dinosaurs and more enduring. It is fiercer than Tyrannosaurus Rex. My love for you makes Ultrasaurus look like a tiny speck of sand. It is bigger than the earth. My love for you goes farther than the farthest star and back again and around the world two times. God alone knows the scope of my always forever love for you. Mommy. I want to remind you that it is never too late to find your light. Please let Ryder's life and how he's helped his family since his passing be a reminder that you too can find yours. Until next time, please be kind and stay well. Bye-bye. Rolling now with the tide And girl, you're all that's on my mind
coming on home to you, yeah. I know you never ever be untrue. Leave your light on, baby. Leave your light on, baby. Yeah, leave your light on, baby. Leave your light on, baby. You know my loving's free if you just. I said my loving's free if you just. Babe, my loving's free if you just leave your light on for me.